Father God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. And God, our hope is in you. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Our hope for the Space Coast. Our hope for the future. Our hope for our families. And so, God, we focus our hearts and our minds on you, that you would minister to us through your written word. By the presence of your spirit, God, open up the word to us. And, Lord, do your work in our hearts. Do do the surgery of, of the heart that is needed. And, God, we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. These weeks we are in a series that I'm calling Journey to the Cross, and uh, it's a, a great time for us to reflect on the movement in the Gospels, the movement in the story of God and His redemption toward the cross. It's a very powerful part of, uh, of what God is doing and what God was doing. When we talk about the journey to the cross, we usually focus just on Holy Week. And uh, it's kind of frustrating sometimes that we try to pack so much into this one week. Uh, because if you blink uh, there between uh, the, the Palm Sunday and Easter, you just kind of miss, uh, well, a whole lot. Uh, I don't know if you realize it, but about half of John's gospel is about this one week. And so there's a great deal that is going on and that we are going to be looking at during these weeks. Uh, We've begun to see in these recent weeks that the plan of rescue and redemption for humanity was much bigger than just uh, these specific days. And it it had begun long, long before that time. Uh, All the way back in the Garden of Eden, we we saw that the plan of redemption was in its works, the journey to the cross. In fact, really in the beginning in eternity, uh, it was determined and known that Christ, though he was in very nature God, was not willing to cling to that, but released that so that he might come and save us, save you, save me. We also looked last weekend at Caesarea Philippi as the physical beginning of the journey to the cross. How how Jesus went to this place, basically way far away from the cross, to go and really get in the face of the devil and say, I'm coming for you because I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to rescue my people. He went to a place called the gates of hell. And so uh, we see the journey there. But something happened, and we're right at the cusp, at the edge of Holy Week, and something happened on the evening before the triumphal entry, and that's what I want us to look at uh, this morning. Uh, The passage that we're going to read has uh, reference that six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Uh, The NIV says it in a, it's from the same grammar, but it says it a, a little bit more clearly Of course, this is where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Really big deal. It's just in the chapter before. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. It's the only place in all of the Gospels that we find a phrase like that or a reference like that. 
The public ministry of Jesus, if we look at it, is framed by two home experiences. The first, you remember, was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. He came uh, with his mother, and he was attending this this wedding, and he performed his first miracle there, and it begins his public ministry. He now becomes publicly known. And this is the conclusion of his public ministry, again, in a home. I think home is really important in the mind and the heart of Jesus. But we also are going to see that at the beginning, right before uh, the triumphal entry, and then later in the week, we see two dinners that take place, both very, very important. And we're going to look at this first one uh, this morning. So let's look at John chapter 12, and we'll be uh, verses 1 through 11. Let's give our whole attention and our hearts to hear the Word of God and hear what God has to say to us this morning. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what, he, or to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for moments that we sometimes rush past that really speak so richly to us. So God, do just that. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So here we are just six days before the Passover, uh, and Jesus came to Bethany. Uh, Bethany was uh, about three miles to the east of Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives. You think about three miles, that's about a 5K run. If you run a 5K run, that's that distance. 
And so it's not very far. In fact, it would be great to have a uh, Palm Sunday 5K, wouldn't it? <laughs> you could run that route. I, I won't propose it this year. But, um, but this is where Jesus often stayed. It, it's sort of a suburb community, uh, a bedroom community and village outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus, when he came, and he came he, he, all during his ministry. We see him in Jerusalem back and forth. And when he came to Jerusalem, this is where he stayed, not in the city. It was sort of this safe place, and it was just a comfortable place. Here he had these friends that welcomed him, and he stayed in the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But after the resurrection of Lazarus, there was a lot of commotion going on. There were were people searching for Jesus, and uh, the the, uh, All Points Bulletin was being put out to try to captured Jesus somehow, and so he had withdrawn to this village called Ephraim, but now he comes back. They were even wondering, is he even going to come to the Passover? Surely he won't even come, because this is such a a threatening time to him. He's probably just going to stay away. Well, Jesus was coming, because he had a very specific message. So Jesus, actually from this town of Bethany, is going to uh, begin the, the route of the triumphal entry. This is where it goes. Up on top of the Mount of Olives is another village called Bethphage. It's not a real high mountain. And then some of you have been there and then walk down. Uh, he will come down on this triumphal entry. This is where the Hosannas are going to happen. Uh, this is where the crowds are going to be crying out to him. Uh, in, in just another day. And so this is where we are. This is the setting. This home of Lazarus, uh, Mary, and Martha in Bethany was a very important place. Um, we don't know a lot about these siblings, but what we see in the few passages that we have, apparently they were fairly wealthy, this family. They had a, an expensive home where they could host Uh, Not just Jesus. When Jesus came, well, Jesus is coming to dinner. Well, he brings a whole lot of people with him. He brings 12 disciples and and probably at least five uh, women who regularly traveled with him and others, a sort of entourage that came along. I don't know about you, but that would be a lot if we announce, oh, yeah, this crowd is going to be coming to visit. But that's what happened. Uh, Jesus would come with this group, and they hosted Jesus and his disciples as they came along. We have one of the incidents uh, is recorded in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. It's a real favorite, but uh, Jesus was there with the disciples, and he was, uh, he was teaching. He was in one room teaching, and Martha was trying to get everything ready for this big crowd. She's trying to get the meal ready, and she's, you know, her sister is not helping. She goes in, and she uh, calls to Jesus, or pulls him aside, and says, Jesus, will you tell my sister to get in here and help me? Anybody ever felt that from time to time? <laughs> okay. and, and Mary is there, and it's interesting because uh, the response uh, to uh, Martha's complaint, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You're really unsettled. But only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. It's not that what you're doing is unimportant. Jesus never says that. Uh, he knew better than that. <laughs> but what, what Mary has chosen is better, and it will not be taken from her. She, Mary had this this thing that she wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. She wanted to hear every word. Truth was being not just spoken, but truth was present there. And so she wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. 
This is Mary of Bethany. And we want to have that picture and understand that. Uh, now, when I say Mary, and when you're in any Bible study and somebody says, now Mary, you should immediately say, which one? Because there are six in the New Testament. There's uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary of Magdala. There's Mary, the mother of James and the younger, the, James the younger, Mary, the mother of John Mark. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary of Rome and uh, Mary of Bethany. So let's just practice that. Uh, and then uh, we come to the part where Mary, that was weak, okay? We got to work on this. And then, we, and then what happened was Mary, okay, good. So this is so good because it's a big difference. This is not Mary of Magdala. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a completely different person, and her personality is, is very different from anybody else that we might find in the New Testament. She was quiet. She, she didn't speak. So this was the group that gave uh, a dinner in his honor. Uh, after three years of public ministry, Jesus was, was finally coming to the conclusion. He had taught uh, amazing truth among the people, but even more than that, he had healed so many people. I mean, do you think about the way that he had touched the lives of people? And, and yet many of the followers, the crowds that were coming to him, uh, for him were, were scattered. Now, there will be crowds the next morning, uh, but they had scattered. But this dinner was, was being given in his honor. Now, who was at this dinner in his honor? Well, Jesus and the Twelve, of course. And then we know that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha of Bethany were there. But there was someone else, and that was a fellow named Simon the leper. And uh, that, that is something that you might say, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that, Pastor Jeff. I, I was really paying attention, and I'm looking back right now in the scripture. I don't find Simon the leper. Uh, that's because it's not in John's record, but it is in the record of both Matthew and Mark. Both Matthew and Mark say that now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and so it was in this other home. It was not in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Uh, Simon, we don't know a lot about him, but he must have been a, a wealthy. He had a large home. He could handle this. Martha was actually preparing and serving the meal. So it's as if the plan had been made and Martha was going to get everything ready. And they said, we can't have it here. I'll get to that in a minute. We can't have it here. But could, could we have it at your house? And Simon the leper said, absolutely. I would... I would be honored to have a dinner in his honor. So this is what is happening. This is the scene of what is, what is occurring. So who was this Simon the leper? It's kind of an unusual thing because he just appears. And we know very little. Uh, we don't know any backstory on him. Just what is described here. Some suggest that this Simon may have been the father of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, or might have been the husband of Martha. We don't know. But the label tells us volumes about who he was and who he had been. You have to remember that leprosy was the dread disease of the ancient world. It was the thing that nobody wanted to get near. It was the thing that nobody wanted to touch. And Simon apparently had at one time suffered from this 
horrible, disfiguring disease. Now, leprosy, that, that name in ancient Bible times, described a variety of skin disorders. Uh, anything from a white, patchy section on your skin uh, to uh, running sores on your skin and then the disfigurement and the loss of digits and all this stuff I won't show you pictures of. Um, but it could have been anything in that range. And anybody that had any of those symptoms was declared unclean. And then they were sent off. They were isolated. They were quarantined away to a leper colony, a leper village. It's interesting, if you go back and study the history, a leper was not allowed within six feet of another human. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and not allowed within 150 feet when uh, the wind was blowing. In fact, they were, uh, if they were traveling down a road, they had to wear bells around their neck and ring the bells if they saw someone coming and have their clothing torn so that the wind, if it was blowing, would, would, would make their their clothing wave, and it would warn anyone coming and approaching, oh no, this is a leper that is coming along. So lepers lived in this kind of isolation. Occasionally, uh, their condition would clear up, probably because they had been misdiagnosed, and then they would go get checked by a special priest, a leper checker. It's like going back to get your, your, your test again and get your negative, you know, so that you can go back to work. That kind of, but this was a much more serious kind of situation. It reminded uh, me this, this uh, break of social contact uh, to, of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. Uh, I remember it very well because I remember getting a call from a woman in the church I was serving and she said, uh, I hate to ask you, Pastor, but would you come and visit my son in the hospital? I said, absolutely. She said, well, I have to tell you, he has AIDS. I said, I'll be there, absolutely. She said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. And she said, but, but you have a family. I said, I, I'm not concerned about that. I remember arriving, and I remember the sense of isolation because at that time, even healthcare workers were terrified of this new disease. And, and, and even if you read everything about it, and I had read everything that I could find about it, I knew how it was contracted and how it was not contracted. And I, I went into the room, and they said, you need a gown. And I said, well, I'll wear a gown, okay. Well, you should wear gloves. I said, I'm not going to wear gloves. And they said, you should not touch him. And I said, and I remember going and, and, um, and holding his hand and praying for this young man, praying with this young man, because I happen to know how that disease is contracted and how it's not contracted. And I remember his mother just being so grateful, just in tears, because this was human contact with someone other than her, someone willing to touch him at this time and pray with him at this time. Well, this is the sort of thing that was lost to a person in that time who had leprosy. Now, one of the beliefs at the time was that leprosy could be cured, could be cleansed, but only by Messiah. And that was the miracle that was being seen. And Simon, we, we could call him Simon the ex-leper, um, would be a much better name. He's in a social situation. Clearly, he has been healed and cleansed. Many conclude that Simon had been healed by Jesus. 
Now, we want to be careful that's not written in Scripture. We don't have that story. But everyone may have known it. It could have been common knowledge. Oh, yeah, Simon the leper, yeah, he was one of the first. We know that among the first miracles that Jesus performed was the healing of many who had leprosy, as many as ten at a time. And can you imagine that day when ten went to the priest, uh, the leper checker? And, and, and the leper checker probably said, I only do about one of these a year, and there's ten here today? Where did you come from? <laughs> and only one of them went back to thank Jesus. And it's not this Simon, because that was a Samaritan who went back to thank Jesus. But he had been healed. I, I have to believe that he was healed by Jesus, because he was part of hosting this amazing evening of gratitude. Such dinners did take place to express gratitude. It was not uncommon to honor a rabbi, uh, a a very special person, in the same way that we might today. Uh, And a variety of testimonies would be heard about that person. It wouldn't be like today we kind of roast someone. Believe me, they weren't roasting Jesus. You don't do that. Let me tell you some jokes about what happened out on the Sea of Galilee. There's none of that. But it was an evening probably of testimony. This was to honor Jesus. And there was probably no formal program or anything like that, like we would design. We would have a printed program and such. Um, But it, it was an evening of testimony. I found myself asking a question, why would Jesus even participate in this sort of thing? You you know, in a few more days, we're going to see him walk into a room where everyone is arguing. All the disciples are saying, well, I think I could be the greatest one. No, I should be at his right hand. No, no, don't you remember? I think that he referred to me as the greatest one. And Jesus just says, you guys are not getting it. And he says, I'm going to wash your feet. (laughs) And he washes their feet. And he says, now this is what it's all about. Serving. And this is what you need to do, not just see. And so he demonstrated what leadership, servant leadership was all about. So why would Jesus participate in this sort of thing? I think that it may have been to help these people connect, make the connection, and understand all of these things that were going on, uh, that there was something bigger that was happening. Now, we don't know the order of these testimonies that went on. It may have been just very sort of casual and as they came up during the evening. Um, But here are the people that I think would have given testimony. It's an evening to honor Jesus. And first on the list might have been Simon the leper. He was hosting this dinner. And so um, we don't know what he said, but he may have told the story that we don't have in Scripture. What it was like to be diagnosed with the dread disease of the day. And then what it was like to be cast out, to be declared unclean, you're out, you go to this place, and you can't see your family. They can deliver things outside of the village, that little cluster gathering, and you're going to be there with all the sick people. And if you weren't already sick, you're going to get sick. Uh, And to know what it was like to be forbidden to even enter into worship and do sacrifices or anything like that that was a normal part of spiritual life. And then telling about the joy of the day that Jesus came and touched him and cleansed him when everybody else was cowering and he was freed of this horrible, dread, disfiguring disease. 
What a testimony. Would you like to hear that? I mean, this is just an amazing thing. I think also that Martha would have given testimony. Now, she was already expressing her gratitude by serving and preparing the meal. That was, that was her love language, her spiritual love language. <laughs> was, I'll, make the, I'll make the meal. We're going to have this thing in honor. I'll honor him. It'll be the best meal ever. And she was getting this meal ready, and she was taking care of all that kind of thing. But she may have also given testimony about how the Lord had given her peace at some of these specific times in her life and in her interactions and in his visits. How Jesus had helped her to understand that her serving was important, but she had gotten herself in a tizzy. She had gotten herself distracted and worried about many things when something else was much more important. Jesus is more important. Don't get distracted by all that stuff. Jesus is more important. Mary has chosen what is better. And that gave her peace. She may have also given testimony about the day that uh, her brother had gotten so sick, her precious brother Lazarus got sicker and sicker, and so she sent word, she sent word on down to where Jesus was in Jericho, and and where to come, you need to come quickly, we need you now, (laughs) we need you now, and then uh, the days started to go by, and, and her brother Lazarus died. And how when Jesus came, you know, Martha confronts him. And Martha, when, when Jesus meets her out on the road, uh, she says, uh, Lord, you know, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wow. That's pretty direct, isn't it? And she said, I, I, you know, I believe in resurrection and everything like that. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And he says, uh, um, she says, well, I know that. I believe in the resurrection. And she was probably pretty puzzled because then he said, no, you, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And so that would have been a very powerful thing to share, uh, her experience of, of how Lazarus had been raised. But, but the big keynote address would be Lazarus. Lazarus had become sort of a celebrity. Everybody wanted to see Lazarus. Everybody wanted to hear from Lazarus. They may have wanted to touch him. Did you really die? I want to touch your arms. I want to, I want to be near you. Did this really happen? Can you tell us what that was like? And so he would have been uh, a celebrity, not like celebrities today who try to draw attention, even Christian celebrities that try to draw attention to themselves, but a celebrity in the sense that because of the powerful thing that Jesus had done in his life, uh, there was a lot of attention being given to him because of all of that. We know that there were people around that were desperately trying to see him. They were trying to search out Lazarus. Uh, But Lazarus would have given testimony about what it's like to be really, really sick and then walk through that doorway into the darkness of death. We don't know where he was. The Bible talks about a place uh, called paradise that is not quite heaven yet. Um, But to be dead, he was dead. And then in that place of death, he heard a very familiar voice, the voice of Jesus, saying, Lazarus, come forth. We we don't know anything about his thoughts, about whether he even wanted to come back, but when Jesus says to come, you, you come. 
You may have given testimony to what it was like to then be back in, in a body that had decayed and to feel life rippling back with strength into a decayed body. I mean, just what an amazing testimony this was. And then what it was like to be trapped in, in grave wrappings and, and then hear uh, the voice again say, you need to unwrap him. <laughs> he needs to breathe. And then that first gasp of breath as he, ah, ah, and he's alive and he can see light after having been in darkness. And then to describe what it was like to even still smell the, 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 the stench of death in that chamber as he came out and then was greeted by those he loved so very much. What a testimony. Would you like to hear that testimony in person? When you get to heaven, you can ask him about it. Now, he wasn't glorified, so, so he went on and he lived life, and then he died again. But he was resurrected physically. And this is just the most amazing of miracles and an immense testimony of gratitude. And things probably settled down, and they probably began to say, well, we're going to start serving dessert now and, and this sort of thing. But there was one more testimony to be given. I think she may have hesitated <laughs> because she, she wasn't a talker. Uh, in fact, we, we, we don't have a single word in all of the Gospels that Mary of Bethany ever uttered. Um, but she had something to express. And how do you follow that? It's not only her big brother or her little brother, we don't know. But what, how do you follow a testimony like that? What, what do you say after that? And the truth is that there are times in life and in the life of the Spirit when words are just not enough. There aren't any words. Have you ever been there? Were there uh, yeah. That's, there aren't any words. Mary of Bethany loved Jesus with all of her heart. And she, she loved those visits to Bethany. Uh, she loved when he was in their home. She loved focusing on him and hearing every word. What she may have loved most was that in a world where women were generally not invited into the teaching places, he, he welcomed her. Come sit here. He, he recognized that as a woman, she, she deserved just as much as anyone else to hear what Jesus was saying. And he, he had honored her in a way that was not common. Jesus was so different. But what could Mary do? What could she say? I mean, those big testimonies were so grand. She hadn't been healed of anything that people could see. She hadn't been restored in any way that people would have known about. Her sister was the outgoing one. She was the one who usually spoke up and kind of spoke for both of them. And, and now the dinner conversation was, was settling down and the men were reclining there. And she remembered her jar. It was a very precious thing to her. Most conclude that probably her mother had given it to her. It was the sort of thing that was passed from mother to daughter. Uh, very, very valuable. And she was probably reminded uh, that this is the one thing you don't let go of. This, this is the one thing that is yours. And it was probably for the purpose of uh, being a dowry at the time that she would marry. 
It was a beautiful alabaster jar. If you don't know about that, uh, alabaster jar is carved from a single piece of stone. You, you can buy them, but they're very valuable. They're very precious. They're the only type of uh, vial that can be used in sacred settings because they're not formed uh, on a, uh, by a potter with hands. They're, they're made by God and then carved. It was filled with this very expensive perfume, pure nard, very valuable, valued at one year's working wages. Now, we don't know exactly how to value that, but if you just look at a modern uh, minimum wage in the state of Florida, it's about $18,000. Let me just ask you, I mean, you could raise your hand if you want. Does anybody have an $18,000 bottle of perfume? <laughs> Guys, that would be a real win, maybe. <laughs> Uh, this is very, very valuable. And so she thought of this. She may have even slipped away and gone back to their home and brought it back. It would have been close by there in Bethany. And she thought, perhaps I could just honor Jesus. The, the scent would be on him. And uh, I could put a few drops. That would be the way to do it, is just put a few drops uh, on him and to anoint him. If she could just quietly, because she was a quiet person, if she could just quietly slip up behind Jesus because they reclined at the table with, with the legs away from the table on pillows. That's just the way it, it, the formation was done. And that's exactly what she did. Quietly, very quietly, Mary began to anoint the feet of Jesus and then his head. But the question must have been in her mind, well, how, much, how much gratitude do you show? How much do you pour out uh, to show gratitude, and a few drops didn't seem adequate, maybe, maybe more, and then she realized, you know, the only thing I can do for the one who's poured out everything for me is, is to pour out all of this upon his feet. Well, it would have been overwhelming, um, and then she began to wipe his feet with her hair in that humble position. Mark's gospel actually tells us that Mary then broke the neck of the flask. And, and that was a sign that it would never be used for anything else again. This was a holy moment in her heart to pour out all of what she had for him. And certainly it stopped the conversation cold. No, no more calling for desserts or anything like that. The fragrance, it says, filled the room. It would have overwhelmed the room. I like what uh, Michael Thompson has written in his devotion uh, book for this season, that that scent would have remained on Jesus that whole week, that whole week, everywhere that he went, that scent would have remained on him and also on her. She smelled like Jesus now out of this anointing moment that she had poured out. It was easily recognized in the room that this was very rare and that something big had happened. And, and she surely mixed her tears with that expression. The thing we don't want to miss is this. Sometimes there are matters of the heart so powerful that there are no words that fit. We just need to be in the presence of God. Give all that we are, all that we have before God. What a holy moment that was. It's quiet in here right now, but can you imagine how quiet that room was? But then the silence was broken. 
And it wasn't by somebody saying, amen, sister. It wasn't by someone uh, saying, well, let me add to the testimonies of the night. No, it was a fellow that we know, Judas Iscariot. And he was bringing a voice of criticism. Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In fact, Matthew and Mark uh, record a blunter criticism. Why this waste? Uh, and we should just note for self, when somebody's pouring something out to the Lord for the Lord, whatever it is, it may not be our thing, but it's not the time for us to say, what a waste, ever. What a waste of time, what a waste of money, what a waste of whatever, energy. We, we, we should honor the one who is honoring and we know from the scripture that this was not a genuine concern for the poor. Uh, Judas was identified as a thief and, and, and worse, as we'll see in the days to come. But for the first time in the evening, we hear the voice of Jesus. And it's, it's the only time he speaks. He doesn't say, well, thank you, thank you. You don't need to. No, there's none of that. He says, leave her alone. By the way, if Jesus says leave her alone, it's a good idea to leave her alone. Amen? Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of burial. I like the way the NIV, from, from the same grammar, says it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She saved it for this day. This is appropriate. This is right. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Matthew recorded a few more words, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. Wow. I think most of us would like to hear that, that we had done a beautiful thing for Jesus. Matthew goes on and says, in pouring this anointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I say to you, whoever this, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And now, suddenly, the events of Holy Week are now in motion with this overwhelming moment of anointing. People had learned where Jesus was. I think that they had gone to this specific location to stay away from the crowds, to stay away from those trying to hunt Jesus down and Lazarus. Religious leaders uh, had begun to solidify the plot against Jesus and Lazarus, and, um, and now many were believing in Jesus. But the thing we, we don't want to leave without recognizing is that of all the testimonies given at this testimonial dinner, at this dinner in honor of Jesus, Mary's is the only one that has endured in the record of the Gospels. And she didn't say a word. In fact, we don't have a single word spoken by Mary any time. But the fragrance of her testimony has continued on. And perhaps Mary's testimony is the most important one. That seems to be what Jesus was saying. She's done a beautiful thing. So don't criticize her. Jesus saw it as honoring his death and preparing for his burial. Now, there was another supper later that week. We call it the Lord's Supper. That's what was instituted. It was actually the Passover Seder. 
And Jesus uh, shared this with his disciples, and he took things that were very familiar, motions and movements, actually that didn't need words. They, they symbolized finding freedom coming out of uh, slavery in the time of the Exodus. And he took those and he gave new meaning to them uh, as he took the bread and he broke it. And it was an image of the breaking of his body. And as he took, as he took the cup and he shared it, and as they were eating, he then gave these words, Take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, This is my blood establishing a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And we recognize that sometimes these deeper expressions transcend words. And that's what we want to do this morning uh, as we are sharing together uh, in the Lord's Supper. You have the elements. If you don't have uh, one of the little cups, uh, packets, uh, we will bring that to you. Just raise your hand and we will bring that to you. But we want to be in a spirit of worship as we uh, bring our hearts, as we pour ourselves out before the Lord and as we receive these elements. Father God, we thank you for the journey to the cross. And we thank you for these moments um, that really transcend words. And we pray that as we share in these elements that you would cause them to be to us and for us the body and the blood of Christ. that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you for the way that you have poured yourself out for us. Pray that somehow, like Mary, we might pour ourselves out for you in gratitude. In the way that you direct us, the work and the care, the energy of our lives. We give thanks for this connection that you give us, the bread and the cup, that we might connect with your grace connect with your love, and never forget what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
stand as we get ready to go. Uh, we do hope that you will connect uh, with tithes and offerings. There uh, are uh, receptacles out in the lobby of the church, but also through the U.S. mail and online. Uh, we appreciate your faithful and continued giving. If you're here for the first time, I would love to meet you. I'll be over at this table to your left where the lamp is lit. We have a gift for you as a first-time worshiper, and I would love to answer your questions. And don't forget about all the good things that are out in the lobby that order your, your Easter chocolate and also your tickets uh, for 1776. I'm honored to get to um, represent uh, our congregation in the theater and to uh, portray John Adams on stage. Uh, I hope that uh, if you can, that you will uh, go and, and be a part of that. Let us go forth in the name of Jesus. Let us go forth to carry forth the good news of Jesus and to pour ourselves out with great fragrance for him. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>